Welcome to Top Shelf Tech. I'm Jeremy from the Instillery. Today I'm joined with uh, joined by Ryan Joe and um, Mike Jenkins, uh, founder, CEO of the Instillery, and um, a bit of an investor as well, which we want to talk about today. Cool. Thanks for having me, guys. Look, uh, cool. Just to open up the conversation a little bit, we're all here in our um, black t-shirts and stuff, <laughs> and you've come in a pink, uh, fairly corporate looking, um, one button open to just relax a, a little bit, but um, shirt, what's up with that? Uh, guys, look, I, I, you know, I'm a big believer in dressing for my day, and the particular people that I'm meeting with today uh, actually like a little bit of a dressed up look, so here I am. I like the combination of the pink shirt with the elbow pads, it's Thank kind you. of old school corporate with... Else. I like to uh, I like to tip my cap to the older generation at times. You know that, you know that, Ryan. But no, I'm not selling out, team. I still believe in I still believe in team instillery t-shirts and apparel. Don't get me wrong. Cool. Um, look, one more um, soft opening. Uh, we asked a few people for stories about you, Perfect. and um, we asked uh, them to you know rank the top one. What do you think came to the uh, floated to the surface? Top stories. Yeah, yeah about Mike Jenkins. You want to yeah. narrow it down? Well, just <laughs> notorious, notorious stories. Um, maybe, maybe starting the instillery, or maybe one of the instillery's no, no, first it? Christmas parties. Question mark? I, I mean, I don't know. No, we, we didn't actually oh. ask anybody. <laughs> 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 we didn't see what you came up with. Sorry, yeah. that's right. <laughs> that's, cool. yeah, I could have done much worse. <laughs> yeah, we were just waiting for you to tell us. Really, <laughs> that's um, actually a bloody good question. I'm going to yeah. use that in the interview. But, but you did touch on um, one thing: starting the instillery and. Um, Guess what we uh, we are interested to hear a bit more about today is uh, what does it take to start up a new business? Um, how did you find that whole experience? Um, sure. you'd, you'd come from you know um, working in IT sales, um, corporate sales, um, and then boom, you're um, starting up a new business. Yeah. Um, what made you do it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, so the so the the what made me do it is probably probably a simpler question um, for me. Uh, I've always loved the teams that I've worked with. Um, you know, people are my business. I, I absolutely love engaging, regardless if you're the cleaner or the chairman. I love working with those uh, a variety of people. And for me, it was really exciting to be working for companies like IBM and Cisco, and just seeing the intelligence and desire to work together and solve problems. And um, and the reality is, one big problem that came down and hit the entire ICT landscape, and that was how do we address cloud or how do we take advantage of cloud. And the businesses that I worked for at the time either had historical investments that they were unwilling to, um, I guess, invest on top of or cannibalise to capitalise on the new opportunity, um, and or there was probably probably a lack of desire to actually stray away from the traditional old school way of, of you know, we've always done it this way and we're making hundreds of millions and you know, everything's fine. Whereas, um, you know, on my, on my personal, I like to think of myself as a challenger. Um, absolutely can, can toe the line when need be, uh, where it makes sense, and you know, it depends on the context and awareness. But for me, um, I just saw this cloud era as something that someone needed to lead in New Zealand, and I couldn't see anybody else doing it. In fact, in Australia and New Zealand, um, and I just saw an opportunity and, and tried to grab it with both hands, and, and that's when we started the instillery. Was it, was it scary? How did you feel at the time, was it? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, yeah. So I started the instillery uh, with another guy, Andy Cronin, uh, still very good friends to this day. And um, him and I you know, were in very good jobs. 
comfortable yeah. jobs with mortgages and actually both of us young kids, young families uh, in the big smoke of Auckland and we all know what it costs to, to live up here. Um, and so we we literally uh, stepped out with our arse hanging in the breeze. Um, I was very fortunate enough to, to have sold a few shares at, at times. No, a lot of people, someone asked me the other day in an interview, did I uh, start the ancillary with Bitcoin money? No, I didn't. I wasn't mining Bitcoin. Yeah, it was just your traditional couple of shares here, couple of shares there. Uh, but also, we built it with our foundation customers in mind. Um, so we didn't just go out in a bubble. We, uh, Andy and I, quit our jobs and for a couple of months lived like absolute bums in America. Uh, or, and, and we toured from the west coast to the east coast and back again. Uh, went to every cloud slam, cloud jam. Uh, we went to um, Boston and we did an EBC with Actifio, who is one of our strategic partners today, just to really learn and learn the lingo and understand. Well, actually, it was a challenge for us. Did we really understand the problem we were trying to solve for? And then what did our initial solution set need to look like to be relevant globally, but then also bringing that IP back to New Zealand? You, you attached that early on to a foundation customer to give you a bit of a soft landing, a bit of a... Um, yeah, yeah, we did. We, we, really, we really doubled down. And, and, and this, you know, part, part of my advice for anyone thinking about it is if you all have relationships. And, and what, I would, what I would say is probably our biggest mistake at the instillery is we didn't capitalise. We were too shy, the classic Kiwi way, we were too shy about leveraging our network and our relationships early on because we felt like we hadn't earned the right. So one of my big things was, you know, and we did it once, but we never did it again for like two or three years. We were too embarrassed whether it was going to a customer and saying, hey, we've got, you've got a problem that we've solved over here, and or, you know, you know, Jeremy, you're phenomenal talent. We would love you to come for work for us. It took a long time for us to feel like we had earned the right to go and say, lads, leave your great jobs. You know, come, come work for us, question mark on what the next 12 months look like. And, and, I, and you know, my advice and my learning is, is actually you've got to back yourself, you've got to be brave. Um, and if you've got a good idea and, and you're a fearless, a fearless enough leader, but obviously with the governance around it, uh, you, sh- you should be challenging more and more people to join that revolution, whatever that revolution is. Cool. Motivation, like these things are hard. So oh, yeah. you, have, um, yep. you have good days, you have bad days, you have runs where you you know, you'd lose deals and that deal was meant to tie you over yeah. for the next three months. How do you keep going? Yeah, um, it's, it's a real interesting one. That motivation is really key for me. Uh, I've always been um, really hungry and I guess that was sort of bred into me. You know, uh, uh, my parents actually started an IT company, funnily enough, well, not started one, actually bought into one uh, way back in the 90s, Computerland. So every day, you know, we were biking from school to Computerland and you just saw that everyday hustle and grind of these young people. And again, it was about phenomenal talent. They weren't all necessarily the best technically minded individuals. They just were amazing people people. And so for me, the motivation with the instillery was to really ride that same culture and passion and build that in, and actually build a team of great humans first, phenomenal communicators, great humans, and then the fact is, you know, my fundamental belief is you can teach most people most things. And we're like everyone in, in around the world at that time, we were all learning cloud and automation. So we did it together, and uh, it was a, yeah, it's been an amazing experience at this point. So you talked a bit about some of the challenges you faced. At what point in that in that journey did you realise you're onto something special? Was there a turning point or was it kind of ups and downs? Or Yeah, we didn't, um, again, because we had a couple of foundation clients early on and we launched with those clients, we didn't have the first, first year jitters. 
We didn't yeah. have the first year jitters, which I, you know, again, I can, I've talked to a number of founders, I've mentored a few people over the last six years, um, and I can see it, you know, when you've got that financial pressure bearing down on you on how you're going to pay the wages each and every month in that first year, you know, that's why I think a lot of them turn off. And they're thinking in or out. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, this is, you know, it's like, worst case, we've got to go get a real job again. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's probably a level of the commitment that I've got to the idea or concept as well. You know, that's the, comes back to the bravery and actually going all in. Um, but yes, so so for me, we didn't have the first year jitters. In fact, we grew from three people to I think seven people in that in that first year. Really quickly went to nine, went to twelve. It was actually going to fifteen. That was the biggest potential risk breaking point to our business. And there's lots of books that tell you the magic numbers around one, fifteen, hundred, four hundred, and yeah, there's different variations of that. But for me, I think it was the fact that okay, no longer can Mike Jenkins be founder. Can he can't be CEO. He can't be the lead salesperson. He can't be the accountant. He can't be the product manager. You know, and because the reality is, as a founder, you do every single job in the business most days. So does that uh, that mean that you added overheads as well? So not positions that were directly, you know, do, um, working, generating revenue, Ab- or outs, out, you know, selling basically. Absolutely, and that's yeah. part of the realization that we're onto something special. Actually, Ryan, it was um, understanding for us that actually, if we were going to be different and a genuine, unique story, that we had to invest ahead of the curve. Yep. So not every investment that we made in the ancillary, even in year two, three, and four, was directly tied to, oh, shit, we need to get revenue within the current quarter, half financial year. And that was very different to what else was going on in the market. We, we believed in the, in, the, in the core so much. We believed in the area uh, that were problems we were trying to solve so much. And we had a bit of clear air to actually create the story ourselves. So by investing meant we, we maintained that clear air. And uh, yeah, it's really got us the position that, we've, that we're at today. So flipping it around a bit, you've also invested in a bunch of early stage companies as well. Yeah. What do you look for in that and where do you start? Um, again, I, I've been really lucky and, and actually Jeremy, I owe a lot, of, a lot of my reading, Jeremy tells me what to read and then I go away and read it and you know, there's other people and mentors and, that I, and colleagues that I work with over the years around stuff to read. I've pretty much gone against everything um, that those books told me to do <laughs> in terms of, you know, P&L, it doesn't look like this and these the formula and just, you know, my, my belief is there is no recipe. There is no template that you can just drop onto a company and go, that's magic, here we go. Um, I really back a jockey over a horse. That's yep. how I talk about it. Um, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm a people person. When I see um, a good blend of passion and a big brain, those are two things that gets me really excited about a potential startup or, or even a new leader in a, in a big business corporate because we're seeing a bit of a, a transition and, and, and digital transformations coming through in there. So I do, I do look for the jockey and it's usually a founder and maybe even a founding team more and more these days that I go, absolutely, is the problem something that's, um, that has hyperscale, you know, not a niche? And yep. also the jockey. Who are the jockeys riding these horses? And and that's what I look for. So that point there, like not not just one person, a team. Is that uh, what's caused you to shift that sort of approach? Is that about scale or ability to execute? Yeah, I, I think it's about um, ability to capture opportunity. Okay. Um, so so one of the things that I've seen, and and again, I, I I definitely do not profess to be the expert in this, but just from my own personal experience, yeah. um, I have seen individual founders go out with a massive problem area and an amazing solution and an individual cannot scale. Because what happens is when the market gets wind of the solution and you, as a person that can solve it, you cannot be at every single meeting, even in the first year, second year, third year. So, so the reason I say team, and I'm a big believer in a founding team you know, and with, with unique characteristics in that team, is because it allows you to scale, it allows you to elevate multiple brands 
um, are multiple you know, personal brands out there with your team brand, your company brand. Yeah. And I think that allows you to go faster earlier. Um, you know, w- one of the challenges, and sorry to sort of dance around it, but one of the challenges uh, I initially had at the instillery, and it's actually a challenge every day you know, as a founder, is how do we uh, elevate the rest of the team's personal brands out past my own? Because uh, in many people's minds today, the instillery is still me, and obviously now uh, my business partner, Mike Russell. But it's, it's a lot more. You know, there's 200 people in this engine mm. every day thinking, how can we be better? How can we deliver a better experience for our customers? So how can we elevate their brands out and up? Um, and again, it, it's more challenging as you get bigger, but I think if you can do that early on, and it's not just one face and one voice, that allows you to be more dynamic as well and, and evolve faster. Yeah. So you talked a bit about the trigger points and when you start hiring more people, you know, when you've got to get beyond that point. As a startup founder, at what point do you start looking for investment? Is there... Yeah, it, um, and again, I think it differs. Well, we've, we started off very much as a services startup, so we didn't have a product. You know, lots of the software SaaS companies that I work with and have invested in, you know, there's a massive upfront development cost. And it might be some shadow midnight dev team you know, where they've got a day job and they're cutting code at night and then and maybe a variation of that with some professional services freelancer thrown in. Or actually some of these software companies go out and they're building this stuff for a couple of years. They believe in it that much that then the problem they're trying to solve, my experience is that problems changes. The problem space changes really rapidly. So they have to pivot and evolve really quickly and then you know, launch a product to market. And I think that's the big downfall of, of software companies. You know, rather than taking a completely valid uh, proof of value or trial or to a friendly user group of clients and then co-creating the end product with them, they're building it in a lab, in a bubble, in a bedroom somewhere over here. And by the time they actually launch the perfect product, it's too, it's too slow. The, the opportunity's gone. gone. The market's yeah. moved. You know, yeah. Some big company's gone and started something and given it away for free. Um, whereas, sorry, and coming back to the services company, which is why you know, I, I love services as a, as a business, as a sector, um, you know, it's, it's a people business, but it's, it's really less about, you know, it's not a linear throw 10 more people at the problem to get 10 times revenue. It's how do you actually create value for customers and solve meaningful problems that actually allows you to grow with massive scale way above a linear line. So, MJ, you've got a great network. You've got the, you know, you've had these opportunities to invest. Um, uh, uh, maybe you want to just talk us through a couple of your other investments. But uh, for, for most people, if they're there looking at, you know, how can I invest? How can I get into, um, you know, tech on that level, right? You know, we've got um, property in New Zealand and we like to invest in that. Um, we've got the NZX. We don't like to invest in that so much. Um, but, you know, people are quite, you know, genuinely, I think, quite interested in these tech startups. So, uh, you know, what, um, you know, firstly, a little bit around um, your other um, pieces that you want to share, but also how do, how do you find these things? Sure, yeah. Um, again, I think for me personally, uh, it's really about staying connected to the ecosystem. Like New Zealand probably has the hottest startup scene out of any region or around the world that I've been involved in. And when I say hottest, you know, it's not Silicon Valley. We, we would love to genuinely say, you know, we've got the Silicon Valley of Asia Pacific maybe or ANZ, but there's so many hotbeds of talent and what we're seeing is more and more Kiwis go, actually, you know what, starting something is a viable career for me and maybe having three or four startups in a career. 
And so what I like to do is stay connected to those networks. It's a big reason um, why I've got involved with Callahan, NZTE. Yeah, and there's some great organisations doing great work. The Ice House are great ambassadors for a number of startups. Even places like the Beehive, shared working spaces now, you know, yeah. say great things around the people you know, and, and the businesses that they're hosting. Um, but, but more than anything, it's just staying connected online. All this information is everywhere. You know, people are asking questions, asking for help. I'm in a bunch of New Zealand tech startup forums on Facebook, and people ask questions, and I always throw it back. You know, if they've got a survey about a product they're building, I always connect. And, and through that, actually, probably more than anything, through the social world and digital channels, I've really connected with some amazing young entrepreneurs from as young as 14, 15 in the agri-tech space and drone space to um, organisations like Node, which the founder, Richie Waldman, uh, and I have in, invested in, uh, which is an IoT platform, solves a number of challenges from sort of asset tracking and monitoring to on-farm services and even our fisheries. And that's a, like, you uh, you know, you talked about founding a services company. That's a software... 100% right? platform yeah. play, yeah. So absolutely a software platform, SaaS, uh, all built in the public cloud, massively scalable and, and yeah, going really well. Cool. So <clears throat> you talked a bit about, um, you know, the industry and how you create entrepreneurship. What, what, what do you think the difference is between somebody who's got a great business idea and somebody who actually goes and pursues it? Balls. 100%. I mean, lots of people have good ideas. Mm. I've, I mean, I've heard them. They bring them to me and I validate them. And then three years later, I always, you know, I'll see something in the media. I'll be like, oh, that's right. That kid had that idea three years ago. And then you see this half a billion dollar acquisition, you know, somewhere in Europe or Australia, or and and that, you know, and that to me is frustrating. But at the same time, um, you know, bravery is a is a unique is a unique you know characteristic yeah. in people. I think um, I think it's a, a really important one. But I also see people go the other way and take shit ideas and take them and run for the hills with them. And I think it's yeah, there's a balance, and that comes back to I guess probably some of the reasons why I think. You need to have a trusted network around you. Even if they aren't your founding team members, you need to be able to have a trusted group of people that you go, I absolutely trust your opinion. While they might not be all in, they'll give you a real grounding reality check like Kiwis can only do um, on the merits or not. And then it's up to you to digest that, go away, think critically about it, and then decide if you still want to go. But if you're doing it in a bubble, um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough gig. So that courage, that um, you know, to uh, bravery, is the that... Balls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I was saying. Um, was that um, is that about? Do you think fear of failure? You've been seen as failure. Do you think it's about fear of putting your own wallet on the line? What's the, what do you think is the what, is there one common factor that you say you know would see and say, look, if, if people could get, just get over that, yeah, they'd probably be able to take a punt. And in, in my in my experience, um, again, I think a lot of the a lot of people that I talk to that the reason they didn't follow through is largely because they think they've only got one shot at it. Yeah, okay. It's about, hey, if I'm going to leave this career, and usually most of them have got great careers, whatever it might be, or they might be a youngster with huge potential ahead of them, they're worried that that will be a scourge on their personal brand and either make them less horrible, less attractive, but also they genuinely think they've only got one shot. So is this the one that they go all in on or not? And then they just stay the course. What's really interesting, when uh, a few years ago at fairly well-known New Zealand tech investor made, um, made the comment to me that, you know, they looking at, um, at opportunities, do they put a million dollars one way or do they put $100,000 ten ways, yeah. right? Yeah, and it's, um, I think some of that's just that different mentality. Yeah, right? that's right. And, and then I think, uh, um, I think more in New Zealand it's even less about 
Um, and, and, and I know, and I, I share Rebecca's views around tall poppy syndrome, and there's so much noise around the work that we've done as the ancillary startups that we've been involved in, and just the whole New Zealand tech scene, which people just need to get over themselves and actually get in behind it and support. And I think if we create an ecosystem and a group of leaders that actually foster the innovation and rather than trying to shoot everything down in the early stages and actually trying to build this thing up, it's just going to be better for everyone. And I think that will, that will dilute some of the potential fears and renovations of, reservations of these guys and girls who actually got amazing concepts and actually enable them to push them in and go faster and harder and actually will have even more buoyant uh, tech startup scene. Uh, the, the last thing I'd say in New Zealand, which is slightly unique, um, there's lots of young families in New Zealand relative to other startup ecosystems that I've been involved in, particularly in Australia. You know, there's lots of older people coming out of careers and going back and solving problems that their corporate couldn't. Whereas in New Zealand, it seems to be a lot of young, like I'm talking like 40 and under, with young families. So that whole family vibe and dynamic, and imagine that, you know, and, and I had to do it. Um, my wife, Angie, was, I think she was pregnant with our second, our second kid, uh, Tamara, and um, we've had one older boy as well. And so I went to her and I said, hey, look, I know we've just moved back from Sydney to New Zealand and I bet you're happy about that. But I'm going to leave this pretty sweet gig that I've got going here at Cisco and I'm going to do a startup. And to a pregnant lady, um, these conversations are very difficult. <laughs> and I'm not sure if that's too controversial. But again, I was just very lucky um, to have a supportive partner and family um, around me, as well as friends and a network that actually said, you know what, you've got this. Yep, I agree. And let's go. And let's go together. And that's really important. And I, and I still think that young family vibe is, is a large reason potentially why a lot of Kiwis don't. Don't but pull the trigger. Do you also think that's part of why you're successful, having that support network? Like you talked a yep. bit about um, having the right ecosystem to support the tech startups. You talked about the right networking. But what, what other factors would you say are kind of critical to the yeah. success of a startup? Yeah, I, I, again, I think, um, and it's sort of taking myself out of, out of it more from an observation perspective, um, there's, there's lots of people that are well-connected. Okay, an industry, uh, just private school, you know, chapters running around Auckland and New Zealand. Um, I don't think that's the, you know, that's the key. That's not the magic. People go, oh, I bet they've got underground networks and doing handshake deals, and that's why they got to where they are. I think that's just an extension of tall poppy syndrome, man. I, I, like, the reality is, um, if you're a good human working on stuff that's important that matters, people will take notice. But you've got to tell your story. Mm. you've got to be prepared to put yourself out there, get out of your comfort zone and tell your story because no one else is going to do it for you. I mean, now it's awesome we've got platforms like Switch um, you know, to, to enable us to do that, but I, I really think that, um, yeah, that, I think that's a, that's a big, big deterrent at the moment. So does somebody um, who's been sitting on the couch watching Silicon Valley, dreaming of their own... Um, <laughs> You know, own sort of investment portfolio, founding a startup, having this um, you know, great life. Uh, if there was one piece of advice that you'd give them, you know, they found, you know, if they're thinking of founding, if they want to invest in um, tech startups, what would that be? Where would they get started? Uh, that's a very good question. I haven't thought about it prior to this point. I, for me, if you if you want to get started, I'm a big believer in writing it down, writing it down, yeah. and test yourself, test your own thinking. And it's something that I only really got into actually after I started uh, the instillery. Is that a business plan or is that write, write your headline? Do you know there's different I, approaches So, to so this, I'm a right? big believer in writing the end game. Yeah. So what is the impact? So, you know, I, so you've started a business a year from today, five years from today. Write the newspaper headline that shows the impact that you've had on the problem area you're trying to solve. 
and write a story like it would be front page of the Herald or, or back, you know, inside cover, front page of the business news. Tell that story in a way that, and then read it back to yourself and go, did I make a big enough difference? Is that a, a copy, repeat, me too story? Yeah. Or is it something brave and genuinely unique? And I think that's the real test. You have to be really take an independent view of your idea and your concept and go, is it truly unique? Yes or no? Or is it just something better, an enhancement of something that already exists? And you know what? People have made money from that. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying in a market like today, something needs to really stand out from the crowd and be unique. And so that, that's my number one. Make sure it is and make sure you get advice and don't put yourself in an echo chamber where everybody's saying whatever you say. Awesome, awesome man. That's a, that's a pretty good soundbite to, to wrap up on. So thanks a lot for cool. uh, joining us, having a yarn. Awesome. And um, yeah, um, that, uh, that was really interesting, actually. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, me yeah. too. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, cool. guys. Thanks, Cheers. Man. Cheers.